I had seen so much fraud in the climate industry that I wrote a dissertation on it. My guest today is David Howard. I graduated in law in 1984, which I think is relevant to this because in about the early 90s, I saw the newspaper articles about global warming and I didn't think it was a problem. I just thought it was interesting. Oh, we're getting warmer, you know, interesting. And then they said the sea levels are going to be rising maybe two or three or four feet. I'll, I'll be using imperial, not, not metric. I don't do metric. And didn't really think any more about it. Didn't seem like a problem. A few years later, I noticed that they were still pushing the same thing and they were doing diagrams of the sea level. Now, you can't measure the temperature very clearly for the whole Earth, as you'll find out later, but you can measure the sea level. It's quite easy. They've got uh, two different ways of measuring the sea level from, from the satellite and from the ground. And uh, the ground levels all over the world have been going for hundreds of years and they've got these poles, tide gauges and floating tide gauges, and they barely changed. And they've got photos of the whole world, all these low-lying coasts, Venice, Sydney, Miami, and they were all the same as they were before. Hang on a minute. If the sea level is hardly changing, then how can the temperature be increasing? And my legal mind clicked into action. And then I got the internet and started looking, and it was a den of vipers. I found so much breaking the rules of science. Now, since then, I've spent 20 years collecting this material and done a number of talks because I studied evidence. And then in the last four years, I did a degree, a master's degree in criminology. And I'll tell you what, I had seen so much fraud in the climate industry that I wrote a dissertation on it. I didn't write it all on climate fraud because that would have been considered a little bit biased, but I actually found everything that the scientists did was what uh, criminal conspiracies do when they're interviewed. Oh, it wasn't me. It was him over there. Oh, I didn't do it. No, I'm all right. Oh, sorry. I've lost this piece of paper. They used every single trick in the book that the criminals use. And then, which confirmed it was um, when I saw the carbon trading, I thought, hang on a minute, this is carbon credits that Enron did. And I looked it up and Enron, when they were still a legal company running a business, created carbon trading. And they met Ken Lay, their boss, met Al Gore and uh, Bill Clinton when he was president. And they actually sold the idea to them. Al Gore started his own company. And then it, carbon trading turned out to be what you call selling fresh air, which it literally is. And they got done for fraud. So what did Al Gore and Bill Clinton do? They made it legal. <laughs> Basically, it was uh, immoral, but it was legal. So I think when something is based on a foundation as crooked as carbon trading, it tells you pretty much what you need to know. So I then collected, we have a very large team online, 50% of them are some of the top scientists, some of the ones you'll know, Tom, because they like to help and they go online regularly and answer our questions because we're not scientists, we're only investigators. And uh, the investigators, and we collect all our information together and I put it all, there's um, a Twitter user called Dawn, who is the greatest help of all, because she provided all the graphics for me. And she puts everything up on Twitter and I save it. And then I collect it all and put it all on my blog. And that has basically formed this talk, which I'll be giving, exposing every time the BBC or any other news outlet says that this is a big deal, this is a record, etc. They're wrong. 
So in, in any profession, especially science, which is founded on accurate measurements and repeatable experiments, errors are always possible. But normally they're the exception and they're open to be corrected when they're discovered. Also, what I'll mention about adjustments is that if you've got an accounting system, because a lot of this is based on accountancy and uh, models, and where did the scientists get their models from? Accountancy. You take a lot of different things, arrange them, and display them in ways that people understand. Except that in accountancy, you can actually arrange the same figures in three different ways, depending who you are impressing. Because the future money, the money that you haven't earned yet, which is our carbon credits, can be an asset or a liability, depending when you think it's going to be paid or when you recover it which means that you can make a profit or a loss in the same year, depending which particular figures you bring forward or carry over. And they've, they've done this in accountancy and they've done it in climate science. So what they're doing basically is they're taking, um, depending who's looking at it, the same figures and making them look like a profit or a loss, depending if it's the shareholders or the tax people. And they're not actually cheating. It's, it's just a very clever system. So they've got their own set of rules. So not only do they break the most fundamental rules of science by making predictions, because a weather prediction is very much um, short term. There's an error bar, which you call entropy. The entropy is where the error becomes bigger than the prediction. So you can't actually predict beyond the error bar. So what happens is that in about three months of any weather forecast, you cannot predict more than three months because the variations become wider than the actual predictions. So you stop at three months. And if you look at most, even medium term weather predictions, they're not particularly reliable. So what they've done in 2001, the IPCC said that you cannot predict weather in an open, non-linear, chaotic system. That was their own words. What they do after that, they carry on predicting weather not just 30 years ahead or 40 years ahead, but 100, 200, 300 years ahead. So the next rule of science is being able to complete an experiment. So in 2000, they were literally basing world climate policy on what's going to happen in 2100, which would mean probably 0.0000001% the people born on that day would be alive to see the results. Now, if you sell somebody an investment and say it's going to make you a million dollars in 100 years, would you buy it? You know, you've got to go back to basic principles of business. They they have broken business rules and science rules, and these are not just bad science, but they're making people change their policies and ban cars and ban um, internal flights in France. All the internal flights have been banned to stop this terrible warming, which I'll soon show you is actually beneficial. So the hypothesis is... 0.04% of carbon dioxide can create warming temperature. Now, I'm not a scientist. So I use other scientists to explain this to me. So what it basically means is that for all the heat that's leaving the Earth, you've got a big cloud that blocks everything. You can understand that. So it takes time. Water vapor is just thin clouds. That blocks things, but not as slowly as clouds. CO2, you've got these one little dot in a page of A4, imagine a page of A4 with one red dot, that's that's your CO2 molecule. molecule. So all the radiation that's coming out, 
nine six or something percent is missing it, then you've got a little formula which also tells you that when it misses it, <clears throat> only three percent of that is man-made. So out of all the actual CO2 that you've got there, most of it was there already. And the third, because we've got a causation chain here, a yes-no flow diagram, then in order to create more than two degrees of warming, you have to have feedback, positive feedback, not negative feedback. And the positive feedback means that the CO2 becomes half as powerful every time it doubles. So if you look very deeply into the annals of the internet, it says one degree per doubling of CO2. That got buried. It's almost impossible to find now. Now they say three to five degrees. What they don't tell you is that four of those degrees are from feedback because the CO2 itself is not able in the radiation spectrum to trap more than a certain amount. And then each layer makes it less and less powerful until it becomes saturated, which it may be already. So that small amount of CO2 is doing an awful lot of heavy lifting. However, the feedback re requires the Earth, the oceans to um, evaporate and create more humidity because that does trap heat. There's no doubt about that. You can prove it quite easily. However, I have a diagram somewhere which probably I've lost, so you have to trust me on it. There's always one diagram that's missing, which says that all the relative and absolute humidity has reduced in the last 100 years. So the, the lion's share of the feedback doesn't exist. Well, you'll have to look that one up because I've managed, managed to find my one um, gap here. So going back to the actual um, way that I've discovered all this, there's two ways of discovering fraud. One is by looking at the data and comparing them with reality. For instance, um, when there were German floods, American floods, British floods, and American heat waves, they said, oh, this is the greatest one ever or in 100 years. And then you look at the actual poles and uh, walls in Germany with lines on them saying, this is where the 1870 flood, this is the 1740 flood. And you think, hang on a minute, this, this one's pretty average. In America, the heat waves we're all in the 1930s when you had the Dust Bowl. That's not coincidence. And I'll add something about America. They have got the best temperature mechanisms in the world because they've got more weather stations in America than anywhere else. So the temperatures that they're recording around the world, half of them are missing and they fill them in afterwards. Now, if you're going to fill them in afterwards, there's a little bit of discretion they can use. <laughs> Nobody checks afterwards. Now, if a weather forecaster gets their weather forecast wrong, do they get paid less? I don't think so. If a stockbroker gets their prediction wrong, they get less commission. But if a climate scientist makes predictions and everyone forgets them in three, five, seven, 10, 20 years, what happens? Nothing. So they're not actually like an engineer where if you make a mistake, the whole wall or the bridge is going to fall down. They make a mistake and people say, oh, they've made a mistake. And that sort of gone. So there's an element of breach of trust there from the data. And the second thing, which is equally important, is the climate gate emails where they've actually hacked legally, illegally, doesn't matter, but we've got the evidence, where they admit, oh, we twisted this, we twisted that. You'll have to look at my um, blog page to see them all because otherwise I'd sit here quoting people the whole time. But basically, 
the things we were suspecting they do, they basically are doing. It would take three atmospheres to compare it with CO2. We would need a world, and that's right, three different three different planets, a controlled planet, one with higher CO2, one with low, lower CO2, to really know what CO2 did. That's the proper experiment, not a little glass jar or a tank in a laboratory. They don't work because they're not open. You can't convect outwards. So it's a breach of trust, complete breach of trust. So when originally it was called global warming, I can't remember his name, but George Bush's um, advisor said to him, oh, we can't call it global warming anymore because it's not really actually warming everywhere. Some places are getting colder. Some places aren't warming at all. Let's call it climate change. What does that mean? It means the climate's changing. What they actually technically mean is man-made climate change due to global warming because like carbon dioxide, it's too long. They call it carbon. Man-made climate change caused by global warming is now called climate change, which doesn't mean anything because it's, it's like saying wet water or something like that. So, you know, orange oranges, it's, it's, it's a redundancy. So... They called it climate change because we had getting some pretty cold winters and cold months. We had a record warm July this year, or was it June? And then we had a record cold July because it does tend to balance. So we've got lots of lovely balance in the climate. And you'll find whenever they say it's the hottest year on record, what they don't tell you is that the record didn't start till 1850. And the 1850 records were when we got thermometers. And the 1979 records were when we got satellites. And what they do is they splice together three different types of data pre-1850, which is done by proxies, 1850 to 1979, which is by thermometers, and then satellite measurements. Now, again, I don't have this exact one, but I'll give you an example of it. This diagram here is what they did. They adjusted in America, so the measured one shows no trend whatsoever, and the adjusted one tilts it downwards. Now, NASA's satellites in 1979 were sort of in, in the middle of those for the whole world. This is America, because it's the worst example I've found. But the NASA satellites had three variations because they weren't working properly. Now, normally, if you are relying on world policy from the NASA satellites and they're wrong, you say, sorry, the NASA satellites are wrong. Maybe we should rely on thermometers again. But no, they just adjusted it upwards again in about 2000. And um, from a relatively mild warming, they put a bit more warming, and then they adjusted it again a few years later because they said that one of the satellites was decaying in its um, orbit and they had to uh, adjust it again. So if you believe that, I have a bridge to send you. So if you look again, yeah, that's NASA there, and that's 1974. So NASA backdated the adjustments as well. So they took the temperature from 1870 onwards and it peaked before the real CO2 started uh, coming in 1940. And then it went down and it went down and it went down. And NASA somehow managed to raise it up because they said, oh, you've been emitting CO2. So there is a phenomenon which was admitted by some of the um, UEA, University of East Anglia, Hadley Centre for Climate Research, that the models don't agree with the temperature. So what did they do? They changed the temperature rather than fix the models. 
So, you know, if they were accountants, they would be in prison for doing that. I'm not calling them criminals. No, I'm just saying if they were accountants. So looking at my diagram, we've got another little thing where you magnify the temperature. Now, right up till, oh, 1850, they said, oh, of course, every time the temperature rises, the um, ocean gives off more carbon dioxide. If you've got a glass of uh, fizzy water and the bubbles come up, the more you heat it, the more bubbles come out. And that's what happens. And then they said, oh, well, but after 1850, the... Um, climate was completely different the temperature was going up after the co2 well if you magnify the diagram here just for 10 years somehow the ocean temperature which heats up and gives the carbon dioxide i'll use my point here there, there's the big point there the purple point is the heat in the sea because the sun heats the sea and then the gas is released so if you look at it for a wider period there, all the way from 1980 to 2012. You have to look closely, but 1980 to 2012, where they say that the carbon dioxide was actually being released after the heat, which is abnormal because normally it's the other way around. If you look closely enough and analyse this, maybe take a screenshot, it's basically just normal. The temperature change is causing the CO2 to rise. And all I'll say, as far as the temperature changes are concerned, if the CO2 had been stable for the last 100 years, the current temperature change would not be considered unusual because there's not really an awful lot of variation between 0 degrees change and 1 degree change. And then when you look at my adjustments, you will see that the changes are not even natural. So in the United States... The raw temperatures are the little dots, and they've got two different ways of doing it. They either cool the past and keep the present the way it is, or cool the present. I sort of raise the present up. They, they, they're basically tilting it one way or the other to make it look like it's warmer. And because all errors should tend to zero, so all the errors should be roughly random. Now, the biggest mistake, it's not a mistake, it's a it's, uh, the feature, the urban heat islands. It turns out that the airports, which are the main places for your weather stations, of course are heat islands because all the um, planes heat up the ground. And they're not supposed to be used for national temperatures because they're there to tell you the exact weather at that airport at that point so that they know whether it's going to be safe to land or take off. They're not there to be used for anything else, so they are relative not absolute temperatures it's relative to that spot because they're using so many urban heat islands for absolute temperatures they have to adjust them because they're by their nature called heat islands you think they'd be adjusted down so why are they not adjusted down why are they adjusted up now michael mann is actually the founder or you could, you could say he created global warming man-made global warming complete uncoincidence that his name is Michael Mann. His global warming was created when four different scientists were given the job for the IPCC, as it was then, to say what the global temperature was from oh, about the last thousand years. Two of them or three of them were a bit like his and one of them wasn't. 
And it was almost like choosing the Pope from the Cardinals. They, they shuffled through these four papers, and in the end, they voted for Michael Manns. And the interesting thing is that every book up till about 2000 showed the medieval warm period and the Minoan warm period, the Holocene area, up, down, up, down. He took all these peaks going back a thousand years, which were accepted by every single institution in the world and every single book. He flattened the whole blooming lot. And then for the last hundred years, he just took the hockey stick, which it is rising a little bit, admittedly, but he had to apply all these adjustments to it afterwards to make it really look good. So we've got your before and after there for the last hundred years in America. We've seen it in Australia. So we were seeing these strange hockey sticks appearing as from nowhere. And Ross McKittrick, the statistician, found the algorithm. And basically, it's like a magic trick. It doesn't matter which figures you put in, they end up looking like this. So he flattened everything for the last thousand years when it was completely up and down like the Alps. Now, you can't actually have an argument which doesn't work for the past, because if your argument says that we're, reliable, we're causing the warming now, but there was equal warming 5,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago, and the benefits from warming in a little chapter of the IPCC, they said benefits of warming. There are going to be fewer wars, more food and less energy usage and fewer deaths from cold because, in fact, the Lancet have done their study of the current heat and cold deaths every year for the last goodness knows how many years. 90% of deaths are caused by cold because everyone dies when it gets too cold, whereas in the warmth you can move around and shelter yourself and you can protect yourself from it. Most people don't die of 100 or 120 degrees Fahrenheit, but they will die if they're under about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So, well, they'll get hypothermia if they're not taken out, then they'll die. Let's find this. So we'll go to the general climate disasters. The general climate disasters are actually, as you can see, all collected here. And in the last 20 years, regardless of the temperature, they are reducing. And this isn't just one random collection. I, I picked this one because it's easy to see and it's uh, short term. So you can see the last 20 years when the real hype of all these floods, wildfires, everything else has been coming out. If you add together all the things that are going wrong, they're not increasing. So that tells you that the temperature does not particularly cause extreme weather. And believe it or not, the same IPCC review summary for uh, reviewers says there is no connection between more extreme weather and um, warming they actually said that it's, it's hard to find but uh, there is a quote somewhere if you know where to look so the bbc i always use bbc because i'm british and they are the worst will tell you that it is and every time you see one of their claims every time there's a disaster They'll say, this is the worst ever extinct species. The world is dying. Everyone's dying. We're all dying. 
Um, no, since 1870, as it's got warmer, it's been good. They didn't dig up Greenland. They didn't dig up, dig up Norway. My cat's just arrived. They didn't dig up all these places in the Arctic and find wood there and little houses and grape seeds because there are certain fruit that only grow, certain plants only grow above a certain temperature. And they were getting Viking settlements, which were only one or 2,000 years. This is proper evidence, physical evidence, from the Arctic where the Vikings had left when you got the Little Ice Age and the Medium Ice Age before the Little Ice Age, and they all fled away from Greenland mainly because it was too cold to live. And when they were digging around or the ice was melting, they found all these settlements and all these vegetables which couldn't have been there if it was that cold, and that was easily within the Michael Mann hockey stick period. Now, if the hockey stick is correct and the temperature then was the same as it was in hockey stick, it would still be blooming well freezing there. So how on earth can you have Vikings living in the Arctic, making their settlements when Michael Mann said it was frozen? They can't both be right. Michael Mann used tree rings for it. There are various proxies you can use, tree rings and um, ice core data. Uh, better than the others, but none of them are perfect. Otherwise, you couldn't have varying proxies. It wouldn't be possible to have two different measurements for the last two or 3,000 years that were very different if the proxies were reliable, would you? As I say again, imagine an architect building a house. Well, we've got two different measurements. Which ones are right? Oh, we've got the wrong ones. It's fallen down. Two people have been crushed. You can't do it if you're a builder. It's not possible. You have got to be accurate. But these bloody scientists will put up any old stuff knowing that only a few people in the world can be bothered to analyze it so we've got the extinct species doesn't happen what's this one here famine now food they say we're going to starve or we're all going to die off well look at the figures you know when you do need a qualification an MSC, if you've got an MSC, you will get kicked in the backside from here to the end of the world if you don't do your due diligence. You will not get an MSC. Your tutors will wallop you if you make mistakes. Now, why aren't the news people and the politicians governed by the same rules that the students and the scientists are? Politics is the answer. Business and politics, money, all about money and power. Famines show that the food is not decreasing. 1860 is the first one. 2016 is the last one. Not many famines since the 1870s. And when were the worst famines? When we had the Dust Bowl in the 20s, 30s and 40s and the wars, the Second World War, so you would get famine there. And the food production is the best one because with the same amount of land use, Wheat, maize, soybeans, rice, barley, bananas, peas, potatoes, cocoa beans, beans and cassava from 1961 to 2020 have all increased by between 50% and 200%. So we're not going to starve. We're not going to die. And this warm weather, whatever it's doing, what have we got? We've got fewer climate disasters as it gets warmer. We've got more food as it gets warmer. Something tells me that warming might be what the IPCC said, that it's going to be more food, fewer wars, fewer deaths, and less energy usage. 
So they're worrying about energy use. Of course, the warmer it is, the less heating you need. So the facts are telling you that the little warmer we have had, whether it's the big amount that they say or the smaller amount, which hasn't been adjusted. So that goes between half a degree and one degree in the last 180 years. If you look at the old pre-Michael Mann diagrams, when we came out of the ice ages, they were changing 10 degrees in a century. We've had just over a degree in nearly two centuries. It's barely noise. Now, the funniest glitch that I found is the average temperature of the world. The greenhouse effect, they have measured that the Earth is 33 degrees warmer on the surface than in outer space at the edge of the atmosphere. Fine, nobody argues with that. How much is the average uh, temperature of the Earth? 13.8 degrees, and then it's getting to, oh my God, 15 degrees. Trouble is that you can't burn all the books. You, can, you can't bury all the internet either because you've got the Wayback Machine. You can find things that have been deleted. So we've got a couple of different um, various sources. In 1849, Somebody said it was 13.443 degrees centigrade. Now, considering in 1849, there weren't any um, measurements close enough to get that close. So they didn't have the machinery to measure within three decimal points. How do they get 13.443 degrees in 1849 if it's not possible to measure backwards that far? I'll leave that with you. In 2017, the 13.8 from before warming, which was, well, whenever you care to do it, because once it's 13.443, the United Nations always said before it was warming, it was 13.8 degrees. So it's 14.9 in 2017. But 1997, somebody said it was 16.9 degrees. And another one, so between 1950, this is all on my blog, so you can find it there, 1950 and 1980 average was 15 degrees. So that, that basically says that it was global warming before it started warming. So we've got so far three different organisations using figures which are far wider. When I said about the entropy of everything getting wider as, as you get out of the error bars, they're taking the... Um, difference between the temperature which is man-made of 1.2 degrees the actual adjusted sorry estimated figure for the last hundred years varied between over two degrees depending which authority you used you can think of many reasons for that one being it's almost nigh on impossible to measure the average temperature of the earth but um, 1950 to 1980 saying it was 15 degrees centigrade means there hasn't been any warming at all zero warming since 1850. Now, where did they get their figures from? Now, the World Meteorological Association in, four, in uh, 2020 said it's gone up to 14.9 degrees, agreeing with the UN, which means that we've cooled 0.1 degrees since 1980, if you use the same figures. It's very confusing. Then the best one is, is your media um, claims. They make these wonderful claims the Arctic is 
warming three times faster than average, except the NOAA, who say it's used six times more, and MIT say it's um, warming four times more. So you've got three different trusted organizations saying, not just the Arctic, this is just, I'll pick one example, but it happens for the whole world, three times more, four times more, or six times more than average. Which one is right? Are any of them right? Is your bridge double its weight? What can it take? How many soldiers can the bridge take before it collapses? 100, 200, or we'll say 200, 100 go over it and it collapses. Oh, we tossed the coin that went down on the wrong side. This is monkey-style art, monkey-style science. They are getting a monkey, blindfolding it, saying, put your finger on a number. Don't worry, everyone will believe it. So we've got the tide gauges. We've got the floods, we've got the food shortages. Floods have not increased. The ice is very measurable. So if you want to know the best proxies for the temperature, take the ice because they show a picture of that every day on NASA. And they also have reasonably reliable sea level. It's not as perfect as the ice because you can vary, vary where you take it and what time you take it, but if you, take enough samples, you'll get a good temperature for that. So the United Nations to wind up here, we get towards the end. What do they say about the variations in the temperature? There's growing evidence that worldwide temperatures were higher than at present during the mid Holocene, especially five to 6,000 years before the present. So these are what I call, again, the confessions. There are two types of confessions. The ones, half of them, they've actually said openly. We're not Mar Edenhofer, the economics um, advisor to the UN, said, you must get rid of the idea this is about the environment, this is about economic redistribution. And Christine Figueres, another head of the UN, said pretty much the same thing. Never got much of a coverage by the BBC or anyone else. But they actually admit it in public because they know that they, they're playing us. They say it's not really warming. And then they watch to see nothing happen because they know there's too much business in warming. You mentioned your dissertation. Is that uh, available for us to read or not, not yet? It will be published officially in the middle of December. And it's, it's on organized fraud. So I mentioned the climate and um, the Enron in it quite a lot. Well, the Enron a lot and the climate a tiny bit because I didn't want to look biased. It's, it's about general fraud. But if you look at the methods that they use to fiddle things, believe me, they are so similar. There's a lot in it. I'm just going to quickly go through the diagrams here to see if there's any other nice ones. Yes, this, this is the wildfires. This is very current. It's very easy, again, to measure burned areas because uh, this is the equivalent of ice. It's very um, physical. You can see it from the sky. You can see it from the land. So the orange one, the satellite from the land, take well, the land is the blue, and the orange is the satellite, and it's taking over. And if you measure from above or from below, you can see in the last 120 years, the actual total of the wildfires is improving drastically. So regardless of the temperature, the wildfires are not increasing. Um, see. Oh, yes, the clouds are the other thing. 
that I will mention, which I mentioned at the beginning. If you want a reason, because this, this is what the jury do in law. This is another thing I learned in law, that everybody seems absolutely guilty until the defence gives their case. So you get two cases. You'll get the one from the prosecution. Oh, my God, they must be guilty. And then you get the defence. Now, if they are guilty, the defence won't be very good because you can't defend somebody that's guilty. But most of them have got a quite good defence. And you say, hang on, and they are ripping apart every single claim made by the prosecution. The jury says, reasonable doubt, not guilty. And if it's even more than reasonable doubt, the judge will throw it out, say, this isn't even worth putting to a jury. There's not enough evidence here. That's the grand jury in America. Throw it out. So there are two things that a detective or a court would do. Firstly, they will prosecute someone else, say, this room, this house has been burned by someone. So, so the planet has been burned. So you take take it to a normal case. The house has been burnt by an arsonist. Who did it? We have got this person in, in the global war. We think it's mankind. Mankind is responsible for burning their house. We'll put them on trial. All the jury have to do is incredibly simple. You're the jury watching this video, looking at all my evidence for the um, defence, and you will say, too much reasonable doubt. I don't think mankind has actually burnt their house too much doubt, not guilty. Do you ever ask a second question to the jury? Okay, then, mate, who did it? No, you don't. The jury are there to find whether your client, your prosecutor, has found somebody that is guilty or not. It's not their job to find out who did do something if the house was burned, is it? However, people like Piers Corbyn, who is one of my favourite meteorologists, and many others have found that there is an actual suspect for who burnt the earth if it's warming, it's the clouds. Because instead of taking this nebulous greenhouse effect, which relies on breaking most of the ideal gas laws, which I did at O-level when I finished my sciences, the clouds, 1983 at the beginning, 2011 at the end. From 2011, you can see the clouds have decreased from 1983. And the temperature in red at the bottom has become the inverse of the clouds. Now, if you throw in total solar irradiation, which the IPCC says, we can't measure the changes in the sun to the temperatures in the surface. I don't know why. Oh, you know, OK, the sun causes the heat. We can't cause the variations. Go away. It's too hard. But if you get total solar irradiation, which is basically the amount of sun hitting the Earth, of course, it corresponds with the... Um, sunspots as well because sunspots change the mechanism of the cloud formation because you've got more little bits of dust in the air that collect it and uh, the more dust there is the more clouds so there is an actual logical reason for it so it is solar related clouds are a proxy for the sun activity it tells you more or less all you need to know and then if you take in the 30 and 60 year of oscillations of the ocean, Pacific decadal and Atlantic multi-decadal oscillations, which go negative, positive every 60 years or every 30 years, warm or cold, and you tie them in, you will get a pretty good approximation of the temperature for the last 120 years. So if you say, well, okay, if you want to be really clever about it, if it's not man, this is what you hear all the time, who did do it, even though it's not our job to find out who did do it, I 
will suggest it's the clouds based on solar activity, and there ends the case for the defence. Over to you, Judge Thomas. Okay, I just wanted to mention, if people want to find your work, uh, you're on Twitter at David A. Howard, correct? Um, yes, and the blog post which I wrote, which is one of very many, is on it's my pinned post, and it's the only time I've been on Blogger since 2004, and it's the only time Blogger have taken down a post because they didn't like it, and I had to put it on Typepad, which does mean at the moment that the diagrams can't be clicked on. And once I learn how to edit Typepad, I'll be putting in the full-size diagrams again. But they're, they're all there. I've just transferred it to Typepad. We're quite happy to have anything you like. So all it right. hasn't been lost. It's just been, been moved. But all the rest are on another um, information revolution on Blogspot. I think I you and I had the same experience maybe on Blogspot. They just took down one of my posts. They just said it didn't meet community standards. Same for oh, you? Yeah, yeah. somebody had reported it. They didn't like it because it, it's too good at exposing them. The one thing the Mafia do not like, because they're working in their dark shadows like cockroaches, you shine the light where the cockroaches are, they'll run under the carpet and we'll run under the shelf. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to be seen. They're like vampires. Because this information is vampire information. As soon as you shine the light of truth, it all evaporates. It's just like matter. The closer you get, the less there is. It's, it's more empty space. And we're, we're making world policies on this, and it terrifies me because... Every few years, each country gets more and more restricted net zero policies until we'll be living in an open prison, even though there's no evidence there's any benefit of banning cars, heating. They're going to get rid of our gas heating. They've just changed it from 2030 to 2035 on. So please, Rishi Sunak, uh, you know, you'll, you've saved my life. Five years difference. How do you want to die by um, lethal injection or having your head chopped off? You're still going to die. They're just delaying it. Who, who are you going to eat first? So it's, it's not really such a great, wonderful thing. Heat pumps don't even work. They're not designed to heat houses. It takes hours to heat a house with a heat pump. They don't get hot enough to give you hot water. So and they're 10 times the price. Need more insulation and all the rest of it. There isn't an alternative to gas boiler heating at the moment. We don't need one. But these are this is what upsets me the most is the consequences if it was just all talk and nonsense, I'd say, let them drive themselves mad and, and have a party, you know, crying over the polar bears, which have actually increased five times in the last 50 years. They've, they've gone up from 7,000 to 25,000 polar bears since Al Gore said they disappeared. So those things alone should tell us there's something wrong. People don't pick up on it, and they need to, because otherwise I say that with single-issue politics, if we've got net zero... Nothing else matters because if you're in your 15-minute city eating your insects because there's a meat and dairy tax, I mean, God knows what parasites these these animals carry. You know, there's been studies of crickets and various mealworms and things. They, they carry things that, that could give you uh, something for life. So we don't want to live in that open prison. So we're a great fork in the road. We can go left or right, and I don't want people to go the wrong way because they'll be digging their own graves, literally. And it nobody will thank us for it. So so if the temperature were to stabilise, what have, what price have we paid? It's like paying a million pounds for a packet of biscuits. You'll never have any money for the rest of your life. Great, I've got a packet of biscuits for a day, and the rest of your life you'll have nothing. You know, it's okay, so you've stabilised the temperature. What did you get out of it? Nothing, because so crop production's gone up, extinction's gone down. 
climate disaster gone down, what more do they want? If it wasn't for this phony um, narrative, if you show people these diagrams and say, well, everything's better, what are we worried about? You know, case closed, QED. David Howard, I really appreciate the work you've done to dig in here. Thank you. Thanks,